Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today. Welcome to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. You'd think people would know by now to never leave a Brisbane Raw game until the full-time whistle has been blown. We got another reminder of that Friday as the Raw snatched a 1-1 draw against Melbourne Victory with the last kick of the game in the opening fixture of Season 12 for the Hyundai A-League. Matt Mackay saw red early in the second half, Mitch Austin saw an opening through Michael Theo's legs for a late goal, and Luke Devere did not see a whole lot as his last gasp chip sailed over Lawrence Torrance and into the net. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Brisbane Football Review, coming to you from the Switch 1197 studios and a part of the Outside 90 Fan Network. We got through the past week intact and are back to do it all again. James Coglin here to host, and I'm joined by two passionate football experts, Scott Owen and Adam Pace. Guys, have the heart rates returned to normal after Friday night? Barely. Barely, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think, uh, James, if this is the, the uh, way that uh, things are going to go this season, I think we're going to be in for a hell of a season, season 12 of the A-League. It was nothing if not exciting. Anyway, today we're going to go over the events of the weekend in the A-League, covering the Raw in the most depth, of, in the most depth, of course, plus the Sydney Derby and much, much more. So, Friday night, opening fixture. 1-1 draw, Mackay red card for a second yellow in the 58th minute, Mitch Austin with the goal for victory in the 83rd before Luke Devere made the most of a goal-mouth scramble to level things up, with pretty much the last kick of the game. Before we get into the specifics, Adam, what was your one lasting thought from this? I actually think uh, the one thing is uh, the return of Luke Devere. And I think that uh, we'll, while we'll remember him for the, his last Gals goal, um, I think defensively he was excellent as well. Him and uh, Jade North's partnership. And between them, they managed to basically mark uh, Bess up Richter out of the game. And uh, I think the ho- hopes of the Raw may rest on their defensive partnership this season. That's it. And Scott? Yeah, so outside of that, I thought Holman was very good for about an hour. I thought he linked up the play quite well. He had a couple of good chances. I think in a few weeks, those chances will start to be converted into goals. That's it. See, I thought it wasn't the greatest match, but I'll tell you what, that finish was phenomenal. But anyway, so let's get into the specifics. So let's start with, uh, I suppose, the lasting thing from the game for me was Matt Mackay, his 200th game, and he decides to get sent off. It's not the 200th he was hoping for. No, definitely not. Well, you know, got out of the game early at least. But uh, what do you think of the... You know, second year, decision for the second yellow card, Adam? I thought the second yellow was fair enough. Um, like I said, at the end of the day, you tug on a player's shirt in front of the referee, you've got to expect that you know, he's going to give that card. But the, fir- the first yellow card was, I think it was an absolute shocking call, and I think that's the general consensus on that, that, you know, where, what else is he supposed to do as far as, um, you know, jumping you know, jumping up for a heading for a ball? You know, I guess as well, the, the, on the second yellow card, well, it probably wasn't helped by uh, Faye Ben Calfella's um, antics as far as uh, diving around, which was, wasn't the first time he did that uh, in the night. No, that's it. And, you know, for me, the big surprise was, you know, it took two steps. It happened right in front of us, two steps, and then Ben Calfella fell over. But... Mackay did kind of put himself in that position with a clear jersey tug. He did. Yeah, and the referee had already, I think it's two players he'd already booked before that for professional or cynical fouls. So when you do that, 
you're just it's you're asking for trouble, and I think he knew it straight away walking down the tunnel before he even got the red card. So well, he was already off the pitch before the referee could get the second uh, get the red card out yeah. of his pocket, and that was that was insane. Like he lost it. But I don't know. What do you think about his reaction? Was it just a little bit over the top for you? Look, I, I get his frustration. I really do. But you know, when it comes when it comes down to it, you know, when the sport is trying to preach, you know, respect for the officials and whatnot, it's not a very good look. You know, especially someone who's a captain of a club and you know, and uh, and you know, being in his two hundredth game. But you know, that's that's the objective you want. It. You know, as a raw fan, you know, I'm glad he's showing passion. That's I guess all we want. But uh, yeah, he's going to sit this week out. I think unfortunately for it. Yeah, as Adam said, he's the captain, and when you're on a yellow card, you can't do that. That's it, and you feel like he should probably be a little bit smarter in that sort of situation, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I love seeing the passion, especially when we're now in an era where a lot of our sports stars are getting very vanilla. You know, anytime you express an opinion, you, you know, you get crucified for not agreeing with someone or something, but yeah, I don't know. I just didn't like the way he flipped off the referee and then walked off, but... Uh, I suppose we shouldn't mention that too much because, well, you know, <laughs> A-League Match Review panel might still uh, decide to point something out. Now, one thing that really stood out for me from that game was a whole bunch of communication issues at the back. Well, especially at the back, where it seemed like the guys still weren't quite on the same page. There were a few times where Michael Theo was coming for the ball, but the defender didn't quite know what to do. And that's one thing that I always thought was one of Theo's strengths was how quickly he was able to, you know, make a decision and communicate it with the back four. Did you notice any of that? Not so much, but it was the first game of the season, so it's, you're bound to expect a little bit of rust in that. But those three have played together a fair bit, so that shouldn't really be the case. But a few weeks from now, I don't think you'll be noticing that too much. I didn't really notice it personally, so... Yeah, no, the one thing I, I came from that, you know, sort of Theo's uh, sort of back and goals, I guess, is that we're sort of, again, you know, incumbent on that uh, play-out-the-back sort of style, where, which was, you know, a cornerstone of the Antipostacoglia, but I thought maybe we may have passed that now that we're sort of two coaches or, or three, if you can lead the interim, uh, friends Tyson. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, uh, is there a fourth uh, one? Yeah, four. You lose track of all of the coaches. Rado, Mulvey, Tyson, and... Oh, yeah. And Aloisi. <laughs> that's right, Mike Tyson. I mean, Franz Tyson. Yes, the Dutch philosopher. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I try to block out that part of the season, to be honest. <laughs> but were you surprised to see Theo get the start? I think we mentioned it last week, but... Um, I am, but uh, yeah, like I said, I, I would have thought that yeah, Jamie Young was the number one, but uh, yeah, the, the male's right. Theo starts and uh, Jamie Young on the bench for the first game, and I, maybe I don't think we'll see him for a while yet. Yeah, I wasn't really surprised, but Theo played the last couple of games. I think Jamie Young's had a finger injury as well, so it made sense that Theo got the chance. I think he did okay. He'll probably keep the job for a while. Yeah, that, that makes a bit of sense then. But, uh, yeah, Brett Holman, what was your take on him? I thought he looked pretty sharp. I think he'll get better. It was his first, no, second start, if you include the preseason. Played it about an hour he played. I think he did very well, pretty well in the game. He created a few opportunities for himself and a couple of others as well. I think in a few weeks, as I said earlier, those chances will start to be converted into goals. Do you feel like he's uh, got a few goals coming in the next couple of weeks? I think so. I think um, I think he actually surprised. I thought he's he's a lot further forward than what I think we all expect, and that's only going to be a good thing for us. I think going forwards. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I think he's going to be able to get into the right positions. We have seen he can score a goal when he wants to, and it seems like he really wants to at the moment. So maybe he can develop into that secondary goal scorer behind McLaren, who I thought had a pretty quiet night. I think both drugs had a quiet night, actually. I think both defend- You mentioned Borussia was marked out of it by De Vere and North. I thought Donicky and Barrow marked M- McLaren out of it pretty well as well. Yeah, so it, well, it seemed like neither side wanted the other one striker to be the thing that beat them. And in the end, neither one did. But what, what do you think about the way Melbourne Victory came out? There seemed to be a fair bit of niggle in the game as well. 
I thought the ref I thought they came out pretty strong in the first 10 15 minutes like they were like they were saying they were going to I thought they did and then the raw kind of got more control in the game and from about the second half it seemed like a lot of fouls kind of interrupted the flow of the game I didn't get much sense much flow in the game Adam do you reckon there might have been a little bit of an overcorrection after the way the first half was sort of allowed to hack away I think it's always you know these sort of speculation with referees in the A League that sometimes that you know they go fairly sort of soft in the first first half and almost like they give up all, all their warnings in the first half but then it's just yellow carpets in the second so I think that's a, just a you know, general flow of what we expect in the A-League these days and that's the fun part because I, I coach kids football and you know you say no don't do it again no don't do it again and then next thing you know you've got to actually take some sort of next level discipline to say alright well now there are going to actually be some consequences yeah 25,000 a game was a bit of a stop start affair mm. But, and then uh, there were a few moments of controversy, most notably in the lead-up to the pivotal pivotal free kick at the end. There was the alleged handball. What did you see out of that, Scott? I didn't see it live, but on the replay, it looked like there might have been a bit of a handball. But I thought the referee had blown the whistle before he gave the, before he touched the ball anyway. Adam, did you notice anything? Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't think it was much. I think it was probably the correct call there. At the, at the end of the day, you know, it's perhaps 50-50 at best, but you know, at the end of the day, correct decision. Yeah, see, I couldn't really... The way his hands were positioned on the ground and the ball sort of got kicked into it, I can't really see any way the referee would have given it. Now, yes, I'm biased, but when the ball gets kicked into your hand from point-blank range, how many times is that given as a free kick, especially when the guy's just trying to get himself up off the ground? I, th- I think as well, I think this whole sort of guideline, I think I uh, chatting about it on, on social media about it, so I think this whole guideline of intent is sort of really playing a part as far as you know, how a handball sort of you know, is awarded these days. And I think that one, if you call that intent, well, there's no, no chance. As you said, you know, ball, hand on the ground, ball kicked at it. How's that intent? That's it. And that's one thing I really want to try and do on this show is not turn this into, you know, the, oh, the referees are awful, they're against Absolutely. us, because I honestly don't believe they are. They've got a ridiculously hard job officiating 20 guys running around at full speed. The goalies don't run around. But they've got 20 guys running around at full speed, most of whom are bigger and stronger than them, and they've still got to try and assert some sort of influence and make decisions without the benefit of a lot of people at home with the high-definition replays and slow motion and everything. And I just, Yeah. Like, I didn't think he had a good game, as evidenced by Aloisi's post-game comments, but, yeah, there's not much you can do about that. Yeah, I don't think Aloisi's comments were that, that accurate. I don't think the referee was that bad. Okay, yeah, he may probably made one or two bad decisions, in, or not bad decisions, but questionable decisions in the game. Matt Mackay's first yellow is an example, but for the most part, I thought he did pretty well trying to control the game with a lot of niggle in it. I mean, when there's a lot of niggle, you've got to, you've got to call the fouls eventually. And there is a lot of history between these teams too, and that's something you do have to consider. <laughs> Absolutely. That's it. Now, the goal at the end. Did you actually see anything coming from that? No. I just saw a whole lot of pinball, and then next thing I know, Devere had chipped it up, and I thought, oh, no, that's going... No, that's actually going in. Hang on. I actually thought it, had been, thought it had been deflected by one of the victory players out for a corner, which I didn't think we were going to get to take. So I, behind the goal, I couldn't even see what was happening, to be honest. Mm, it's a fun part because I'm sitting in different seats this year from where I was last year. So you've got to learn all of your sight lines on what, when the ball's going in, when it's back. So I remember when I used to sit in the den, it was, in, like, it was funny seeing all the sight lines. You lost all your vertical depth perception. So you think, oh, that's going in. No, that's going out to the corner flag. <laughs> 
But um, after the game, I did enjoy you know some of the back and forth between the fans, especially our uh, victory counterparts for Vukse, yes. Danny Vukovic, I yes. think it's called. And um, they were, you know, having a go with a few Brisbane fans talking about, oh, you're celebrating like you won the league. You only drew in round one. And- well, just on that, I, like I said, they can't really talk. I, I was there when we drew for the uh, down at Amy Park and the way the South End carry on, like I, I would hard, hardly think that you know, our supporters would have actually been anywhere near the way they, they carried on when they, you know, quote, cost us the, the Premier's plates. So uh, look to our colleagues, you know, down south, I think it's highly exaggerated about that because, you know... I don't, like I said, the way they carried on, you know, at the end of last season, no chance there was anywhere near it. Ah, it's a bit of fun, and that's no, thing, exactly. like, you always celebrate a positive result. And in this instance, getting a draw with ten men, that was a positive result from the raw. Just like that draw in round twenty-seven yeah. last year was a positive result for the victory. So, you know, that, I, I, enjoy it while you can. That's all I'm going to oh, say. Well, how, how can you not get excited by a ninety-six minute goal? Like I said, that's I think it's human nature. I think anywhere in any game around the world, you, you know. Fans and the players will celebrate like they've won a grand final when they win so deep in stoppage time. So, that's and it. like you said at the start, I don't know why people are leaving early at a Brisbane Royal game. Yeah, it's proven time and time again. If there's not going to be a goal, there's going to be a chance at least. I have noticed though there were a few less people leaving as compared to normal for me. Like in my section, there was it was still quite full right up to the end because I feel like a lot of people were thinking. I might have made that mistake once or twice before. I was trying to get ready to head outside and do the uh, fan cams post-game. I was thinking, oh, no, I've got to stick around for the set piece. You know, something's going to happen. I just know it. I just know it. And, you know, counting on the drunk people stumbling out to be interviewed, being a bit slower than me. But, uh, yeah, I thought those fan cams went really well as well. So thank you to everyone that participated in that. Now, speaking of the crowds, we're going to come back with that uh, just after this. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back to the Brisbane Football Review here in the 1197 studios. Now we're going to have a look around the A-League and at some of the stories from the Raw. So, 15,000 at the game Friday night. Adam, what was your take on that? Was it a disappointing crowd, good crowd, about expected? Look, I think the uh, one thing to take away from it is that it looks like that you know, the, the projections of doom of you know, small crowds because of their low membership, I guess, has sort of been completely sort of you know, washed away. And you know, while you know, other clubs, other fans can you know, sort of mock the roar that you know, we've got a low membership at the moment, you know, if we're getting 15,000 to the game each week, then you know what? It's uh, obviously at the end of the day, they're either unwilling to commit or they, they're or they just can't afford to. And that's, uh, that, at the end of the day, you know, the attendance is what matters, not the membership numbers. I think the club might have a different view on that for cash flow purposes, but, you know, it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's pretty standard. But I think the victory do um, draw, I think, with some of the bad teams. I think the real test will come when, you know, some of the less drawing teams like Wellington or Perth um, or Mariners come to town. 
Well, it's funny you mentioned that cash flow perspective. I think the Raw would actually prefer someone buys 13 or 14 single game tickets because otherwise they're making more money out of that. Yeah, but um, like I said, the, the money's up front more. more oh, true. Yeah, so, so, like I said, exactly from from now from a whole twelve month perspective, you know, if every if every fan bought you now the ticket per game, obviously at the end of the day the pot would be a lot bigger. But I think think you know having a membership up front, they get the money up front. So if someone doesn't show up for a game, good on them. Yeah, but see the other thing about that is I, there's interest in Brisbane for football. Clearly, like we've seen them draw for big games before. I remember season. Three, I think it was, where they were playing for the minor premiership against Sydney FC. And I think they had 30-odd thousand there for that game, which turned out to be the dullest game I've ever watched. No hyperbole there. But, you know, there's interest for football in Brisbane and just 15,000, there's been no growth lately. They've got to do something to try and get those numbers up, though. I don't think we've really seen a game um, for, well, unless, you know, for the first since, you know, maybe season three, where the, a regular season home game has re-tipped, you know, other, um, next the one game I can think of is the Del Piero game when you came up here, that we, other than that, we really don't draw a regular season crowd other than more than 20,000. And funnily enough, the Italian restaurants around Suncorp Stadium experienced a massive boom on that night as well. Oh, uh, River Dirty down at uh, Park Road was, was absolutely off the hook that night. I think um, the Robbie Fowler game, the first game we came with North Queensland, that also drew a pretty big crowd as well. Yeah, that's true. And that one, from memory, was on a Wednesday night as well. It was, actually, yeah. I think it was, yeah, midweek, yeah. That was when the A-League was going through their midweek round idea thing. Which I still think there's potential in, but that's a debate for another week. Uh, Yeah, for me, 15,000, opening game of the season, not too bad. I suppose everyone, all the other code fans are still probably having a little bit of fatigue, thinking, okay, we just want a little bit of a break from sports and go from there. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't all roses for me, actually. So, as I mentioned before, I'm a season ticket holder. Uh, We bought our seats in section 339-340 and went down there to find someone else's also bought those seats that we were in. So, it's a bit of an interesting experience. Did you guys have anything like that happen over the weekend? No, I was pretty lucky, actually, in my seat in the back row of the den. It was, yeah, it was all good. Yeah, no, I was actually wasn't at the game, so I was uh, at home after a late-night work, so... You were so, nice yeah. and comfortable. Yeah, I got, I got the best seat in the house from my TV watching the game. Well, I, I will say, in the defence of the club and Suncorp Stadium staff, both have been really helpful in the last few days trying to get the problem solved, and apparently there was they were saying that there was some sort of system glitch where seats weren't marked as allocated after people had bought them, so... You know, I will say in their defence, it was, it's been handled quite well. So no complaints about that, aside the, from missing most of the first half. And the membership pack wasn't too bad this year as well. It's one of the better ones, I thought. Mm. Well, sorry, just going back to membership numbers, that's, the Raw haven't had anything really on sale, haven't been on sale for all that long, have they? They were the last ones to yeah. offer yeah, season it was, tickets. It was just around the FFA Cup game, wasn't well, it? August they launched 10, it? Yeah. I think it was, they launched. So. so that could also be why there hasn't been a whole lot of interest yet, because a lot of people are going, well, I went to renew back in July and there wasn't anything there. That and everything else happened in the off-season. Well, yeah, but we covered that last week. (laughs) Anyway, um, any concerns about the lack of discipline shown by the Raw, Scott? Yeah, I wasn't happy with it. 20 fouls to 5. Was it 6 yellow cards? Sounds about right, yeah. yeah. The last few years, the Raw have always been near the top of the discipline record and that's kind of gone hand-in-hand with their success. So I think at the weekend, they were the, the least disciplined side. I think it's six yellows in the second, six yellows in the second yellow, and yeah, but there was a whole bunch of other issues going on with that as well. Like it seemed like the victory were able to jump in and get under their skin. So Adam, like, did you see it? Like from your position in front of the TV, did you see any of that sort of stuff? 
Um, look, I, th I think um, the the key to to playing the raw, I think, is, and has come is, is that sort of that, that fast break sort of you know full court press almost uh, style. And I think after a while that that would it starts to you know get frustrating for the raw, especially if they're trying to sort of play out and whatnot. So I think after a while, you know, after you know, conceding, conceding the possession. You know, in in their own half, a number of times. I think it's just I think it's just pure frustration more than anything, trying to sort of break the sort of the tsunami that you know the the um the front three of the victory were causing on on, on the defence. And you know, talking about Matt Mackay, he does have a history of getting quite fired up. I remember the season opener a couple of years ago against I want to say Adelaide, where he yep. got himself sent off as well. Yeah, he did. There was also an FFA Cup game as well. He was pretty lucky in that game not to get sent off as well. He had, I think he got a yellow card and he had a couple other fouls after that as well. But we love the passion, and we what's do. the old statement? Passion is not a crime. There it is. That's the old <laughs> yes, the good old slogan. <laughs> That's right. We'll um we'll come back come back to that a little bit later. But uh, some interesting rumours going around about the Raw's third kit and their potential use. Scott, what have you got on that? Well, they're going to wear it, the maroon kit at home, and no, November nineteenth against Sydney FC. Yeah, so they're going to wear it then. I kind of like it from a state of origin perspective. You know, you got the old maroon versus blue, and I think. We all, you know, primarily football fans, but we do enjoy watching other codes as well, and it's a pretty decent spectacle. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, uh, you can feel you that know, one. <laughs> yeah. I look at the end of the day, if, that, if that's what's going to draw the crowds, you know, and maybe maybe it's a play on marketing sort of idea to try and sort of, you know, that state of origin sort of spirit, you know, spirit, you know then it's. Uh, I guess yeah, you know, good, good on them, but I uh, just don't just don't know about uh, playing playing you know, outside our orange in, on home game. I just I've, I've never liked it. Um, like watching any game, any f football game around the world. So I just yeah, but not a fan of the alternate kit. Not not on a home game for a away game, knock yourselves out. But yeah, personally, I just prefer to wear the orange kit as often as possible because I mean there's the three kits this year: that the orange one, the maroon, and the white. So the away yep. trip, yeah, I just wear them wear the orange one as often as possible. That'd be my view on it. Yeah, well, I have to admit, I'm a sucker for jerseys, so I'll be getting that maroon kit before the Sydney FC game for sure. It's been very popular. I saw a few of them around on Friday night. Well, it's good. It's something different. I mean, we've had a couple of silver kits. We've had a couple of black kits for the third kit. And, you know, it's something a little bit different. I mean, it's not like it's gone all sky blue or something like certain other teams. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know, I like the look. It's something a little bit different. And worst case scenario, it's something I can just wear to the gym in a couple of years. Oh, look, personally, I, I wouldn't mind it seeing uh, being used for the uh, playoff, the uh, Asian Champions League playoffs, something something different. Um, I'm sure I don't, I can't recall too many Chinese teams that are in Maroon. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, if it could be adapted for that, I think it'd be um, a winner. But then again, we're at home, so that might go against my rule. That might be a good use for it, actually, because there's always been a separate ACL home and away kit to the, the A-League, and that might be a good way of using it. Yeah, I remember that uh, first ACL kit. That was... Ugh. That was uh, dreadful with the black bar across the oh, top. Oh, the, the away one was all right. Oh, yeah. So I still yeah. own that one. So, I, so do I. I've got, <laughs> I still got it, I think, kid yeah. size 16. Joys of not having hit my growth spurt quite yet. <laughs> home on the white with the orange kind of blended in together. Yeah, that was oh, oh, yeah. that was dreadful. was the best one. I remember looking at it and thinking, aren't the Roar an orange team? Why are we... Eh, I think just... they gave up wearing it as well, didn't they? They wore the black one for the last couple of home games and that. Yeah, I think that might have also had something to do with clash strips and stuff because we know how peculiar some of those uh, mm. rules can be around kits. We've seen it with the international jerseys and the Socceroos. So, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Now, um, yeah, Ben Lifton, former Raw player. Scott, you've got an update for him? Yeah, he's just signed for Wellington today for the, for the remainder of the season. So he'd be in the squad this weekend for them most likely. Former Raw youth midfielder. Good luck to him. And good luck to Ben, yeah. 
Now, uh, it wasn't all smooth sailing on Friday, aside from the lack of discipline and all the other stuff. There was an issue with flares. Adam, I believe you've got a fair bit to say on that. Yeah, look, I guess, you know, we go over and over and over and look, you know, I, I understand and I get that, you know, there's that, you know, people regard flares as part of the game and, you know, it's, it's, that's what football's all about in Europe and whatnot. But, you know, guys, it is, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter about what the FFA say. It doesn't matter what the club says. It is Queensland law. And at the end of the day, you know, if you, if you want to change the rules, Go talk to your local MP. Go talk to you know, the government, because you know, they're the ones that can change it. But you know, the law is pretty simple. You just cannot ignite a flare in public you know, as it's done. And Friday night, again, you know, it's happened again. Look, it's, you know, people can, be, can get upset about, you know, about that. Now, God, it doesn't bother me you know, that people can criticise me for taking a stance. You know. But at the end of the day, you know, me trying to say it's not, it's not the... It's not the club. It's not the FFA. It is the law, and, that, and that's the, and that's the end story. And you know, look, if you want to go, and, if you want to go and break the law, you know, that go ahead. But you know, at the end of the day, at least you know, don't do it in the stadium where you know you can at least cost the club potentially you know three points of fifty thousand dollars fine. You know, if you want to do it in Caxton Street, fine. Deal the police's problem. That's it. And like I've had a few times where flares have been ripped in front of me on the march down to the stadium, and it really does bug me because you know I'm an asthmatic. I'm you know genetic gold mine, but. You know, when you get that smoke in front of you, and it even happened to me, I remember in high school, our, part of our grade 12 celebration, some idiots let off flares in our school hall, and there were still burn marks on the floor a year or so later. And Like, just the, seeing the whole hall filled with smoke triggered an asthma attack. It just wasn't fun to deal with. Now, I think flares are a great look, you know, in certain European stadiums, but at the end of the day, it's not oh, Europe. Some, some of the best, you know, TIFOs and displays, of, you know, in Europe, you know, Liga Warsaw, you know, they, they've done a couple, they've been absolutely outstanding, but the laws are different in, in Eastern Europe and in Germany and wherever else. That is not Australia, and whether we like it or not, we have to abide by the law, you know, otherwise it's going to, you know, the, the action's going to, what's going to happen? Well, I think it's going to happen anyway. That's it, and, you know, everyone always talks about, oh, we don't want to copy, you know, this and that, and... Like, why do we necessarily want to just copy everything from Europe? I mean, okay, it's a great area, but you see all these other stadiums, like the Japanese crowd did a great job creating atmosphere, and I don't think they lit any flares. No, no, no they, I don't think flares are in their, in their culture. I, I don't think, but then again, I could be wrong. I don't, don't subscribe to all these ultra, you know, sort of pages and all that, so I don't know what their flare use, but look, I know the Japanese uh, supporters, you know, no, both, you know, we saw it on Wednesday night and back home. You know, they're the most passionate. But yeah, they seem to be able to do it through noise and, and music and, and flag waving, not through you know, TIFO, uh, through flare displays. That's it. And uh, the Den actually released a statement on their official Facebook page, I believe. That was where they yeah. published it. So this is what we felt was the important part. So here it goes. While we understand there are many different opinions regarding the use of flares in the den, this type of incident only places any objective of having safe flare zones or a similar initiative further out of reach for those who would like to see this occur. That was word for word their statement. Okay, if they want to put in safe flare zones, fine. I could honestly see a few spaces in some where that could be used. But at the end of the day, it comes back to the law. I don't... I don't. Uh, if I could bet, you know, my house on I don't think Suncorp Stadium would go for it. I don't think oh, no, the government would Yeah, so yeah, I think this happen. whole thought and this whole fantasy, and I'm, I apologise if, if that seems a bit condescending, but this whole fantasy of flares, safe zones, like, it is not going to happen in this country unless there's a change of the law in this state. And that's, uh, I'm sorry, but that's how it's going to be. That's right. And, you know, the number of times you also see, you know, families around the flares and stuff and the kids have to run away. It's just... 
I don't feel like it's worth what it would potentially add. Yeah, and the thing about the march as well is the Dens trying to market that towards families walking down to the game with them, and then there's flares and... Yeah, exactly. They're, they're going to stop going. That's it. And then there's going to be people that don't realise that actions do have consequences. As we've seen, um, like there was a flare ripped in the raw away bay in the preliminary final last year. And, you know, that was brushed aside by the FFA, luckily. But if that keeps happening, then there's going to be some sort of on-field consequences. Speaking of which, now how's this for a professional pivot? There was a flare in the Sydney Derby on Saturday. Yes, there was. That's class, James. Oh, yeah. It's almost like I've been doing this for a week. (laughs) But there was a flare ripped in the RBB area of ANZ Stadium, where I think it was after the Sydney FC's first goal, and the Wanderers, who were on a $50,000 fine and three-point suspended sentence, have had that now extended instead of actually being put into action for some reason. Well, it's actually extension on extension if you count the grand final, so... Oh, yeah, of course. It was actually... It's until the end of the season now, isn't it? It was supposed to expire in February, now it's the end of the season. It's hard to keep up with. That's it. And I think, uh, from what I've heard, there were, you know, people were getting ratted out, for, well, not ratted out, but put forward as the culprits. And I feel like, apparently, that's been what's uh, saved the Wanderers from getting some sort of points. Because if they go and make their own, then that's where they say, all right, well, everyone's going to suffer for it. Yeah, I think I think as well. Now you, you mentioned uh, the the flare ripped in our area in the, uh, the preliminary final down at uh, Pertec. I think that was the same. I think from what rumour was that uh, that's what saved uh, Brisbane Raw from a fine was that the culprit was allegedly um, was allegedly found. I, I don't. Um, that's from what I heard on the grapevine. I don't have proof of that or anything. That, but that's it's got it's got to be the way because you know the FFA. You know after coming out so strongly against flares, you know after that the incident. With it at Etihad Stadium, you know that you know all of a sudden it'd be just unimaginable that they've gotten they've become this spineless, you know. But and again, you know, it's yeah, yeah. It's part of that. <laughs> now there was actually a game played at ANZ Stadium on Saturday night as well. So it was the Sydney Derby, four nil to Sydney FC. That was I did not see that result coming. I did see a red card coming, but that's another story. Um, yeah, four nil. What happened? Sydney were very good, weren't they? Yeah. I think for the 10 sides this weekend, they were the best of the 10 for the weekend. Uh, they, contr- they took what the Wanderers offered in the first half, and then in the second half, they were just very clinical. Yeah, Supremely they... clinical in the second half, Sydney. And all four of those goals came, I think, from about the 52nd minute on. Yeah, and they were all, all good goals as well. They were well worked. I, I really... like the Brandon O'Neill free kick got a lot of publicity, but I loved that second goal where I think it was... Holosko chipped it back to Bobo, or yeah. Bobo, as he's yeah, preferring Bobo, to be yeah. known, as opposed to Mr. D- Mr. Burns' bear from The Simpsons. That's a running <laughs> joke. That's going to be great. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, once, once, once something catches on on the internet, it's there for life. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so there were a couple of other games. Uh, Saturday before that, Melbourne City went to Wellington and came away with a point. Yeah, it's, it's hard to judge where Wellington are at, you know, having five all whites out. Uh, and, and, like I said, five uh, key players out as well, so... It's hard to know where they stand. City, I thought, were you know, they they're workmanlike. You know, they they got the one goal and they just didn't do, didn't do really too much else. Uh, but but yeah, it's um, hard to know where Wellington sit. You no, know, and like I said, I, and unfortunately, it's going to be uh, a few times a season where they where they'll be sort of affected by international duty. Well, you know, it's week one. You have to know for sure what's going to happen because ninety minutes is going to judge the next six plus months, right? Of course. Yeah, knee jerk reactions. That's all part of it. Oh, you know, we've got, to get right, we've got to get into this properly. <laughs> but uh, one big thing to come out of that, Thomas Sorensen. He was red-carded for a handball out of the box, so he's going to miss the Melbourne derby. 
Well, yeah, and like I said, I, I, despite what City supporters say, you know, <laughs> it was pretty clear cut that you, know, you just cannot, you just cannot do that. And um, yeah, like I said, he'll he'll uh, see out the derby, which I thought was fairly silly in itself. Although at his age, coming back from Wellington and having to go through customs, that walking frame that's going to take a while. So <laughs> yeah, now he's not that old. Ah, well. <laughs> now, uh, late Saturday night, one of the, I think I truthfully turned this game off when it was three nil to. Perth Glory, but Central Coast had some sort of crazy comeback. I think a lot of people turned it off, didn't they, at halftime? Yeah, they looked pretty average, and next thing you know, 3-3. Yeah, look, it's um, it's hard to know. Uh, I think I think Perth, at the end of the day, I think they switched off. But, um, look, it's good to see the Mariners actually show some fight under Paul O'Connor. Uh, that's something that last season, I would almost say that it would not, not have happened. And, look, I think... While we've written them off as, you know, I think most, most said that they're going to win the wooden spoon. I don't think if they are going to win the wooden spoon, it's not going to be by far. And I think that'll be good value for some part of it. That's a phrase that bugs me, win the wooden spoon. Clearly, you're not winning anything if you get the wooden spoon. <laughs> well, that's, that's true, yeah. Probably yeah it's not bad, really bad choice of words. But I thought it was a return to the, to the early years of the Mariners. Remember the Laurie McKinnon? They were very competitive. Though. I, think, I think it was this game against Sydney FC in season two or season three. They did a 3-0 comeback as well. So it's good to see them put up a fight at half from the second half. And I don't know how long that fight's going to go because I feel like if they, you know, do happen to lose a couple on the trot, we might see a little bit of a heads down attitude, and they're just saying salvage some pride for the rest of the season and just go out. But yeah, it was nice to see them at least get off to some sort of a competitive start. I think the, I think the interesting part as well is that from the selection point of view is that things seem to change when Jacques Fati who came off, and I think and even though he's an experienced player. You know, whether you know, he's going to be sitting on the bench even now that the squad this week will be interesting because that will seem to be the catalyst all of a sudden um, of, of the Mariners' comeback. I will not make a fatty joke. I will not make a fatty joke. I will not make a fatty joke. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sunday's game, 1-1 draw between Newcastle and Adelaide in Newcastle. Is it just so weird seeing Enrique in another team's jersey and not wearing the number 10? It's going to take all season to get used to that, I think. Because I remember looking at it and thinking, oh, who's that number 7? Is a really quick ball. Oh, my God, that's Enrique! <laughs> And you saw Devante on the other side as well. They both had good games as well. Mm. I thought it was good when he came on off the bench, I thought. That's right. Now, um, yeah, coming up this weekend, I feel like the big game for us to look at, even with the raw playing, is the Melbourne Derby Saturday night. Got uh, Tim Cahill's upcoming debut after his missed last weekend with Socceroos, Judy. So, quick touch on the Socceroos. 2-2 draw in Saudi Arabia and a 1-1 draw against Japan. Should they be happy with that, Scott? I think on the whole, yes. I thought this game against Saudi was a good result. Japan, they probably could have got more the way out. I think that's probably the worst Japanese side I've seen in terms of intent. They they seem to just come and sit back and defend. I was, I thought we could have got a, a three points of that in the end. Yeah, this, that Japanese team at the moment, they're under under the current coach. It's just yeah, they're they're not the same team you know that that we've seen in the past. And they they when they got in front, they. They just sat back, you know, behind the ball, almost, you know, all of them behind the ball, and that's just not, it's just not Japanese-like almost. So, I think uh, one all draw, I think, for Socceroos, you know, with, with this draw in Saudi Arabia, I think, um, like I said, we, we can't be complaining that, you know, we, that we have eight points in the group, and um, like I said, it's, uh, you know, it's onwards to the next game, I think, yeah, which, which is against Thailand, which should be a win. We're on to Thailand. And we're well positioned in the group, as Adam mentioned. We're second in the group now, I think, with Saudi on top. But I think we're well positioned. Yeah, with home it. games against Thailand and Iraq to come, and Thailand away. I think I think we'll. We've got well two set. games against Thailand, who are technically the group easy beats. I think, and even then, they're still going to be a tough out. But you know, I feel like that's got to be six points there. 
and then you know get a couple more wins from your home games and you set. As Saudi some, don't travel well either. That's the other thing. That's they don't, such the they point don't I was travel make. well, and neither do UAE really as well. Yeah, so I feel like you've got to be pretty confident of their chances right now. Funny story from Friday morning though. So it was two-two draw. I was saying, oh, you know, two draws from their two Middle East games against Jordan, uh, against uh, UAE and Saudi Arabia. You know, that's pretty good because it's a tough place to play. And I saw Vince Regari, who was an AAP writer, he uh, was saying the Saudi fans are just mental in terms of their intensity and everything. And I got a couple of responses. Go, what do you mean the Middle East is a tough place to play? <laughs> and I was like, uh, the heat, the travel, and the crowds. What did you think? <laughs> so, oh, okay. Well, we're going to beat you in Australia. So that was a. Uh, oh, look, they get behind their team, and they do make a fantastic atmosphere. Also, without fire. Yeah, that's. <laughs> now Melbourne Derby Saturday night. Quick tip for that, Scott. Ah, uh, victory. I would draw. I think all, a lot of these early season derbies, minus the Sydney derby, of course, um, like I said, they generally do have you know, more caution to the win. I think you know, I think a lot of the game we you know, surround about you know, Tim Cahill and whatnot, that's going to be a lot of the build-up is about that. Whether it's right or wrong or indifferent, you know, that's what it is. I think victory just look a more settled side at the moment going into it. They've, got, they've had their team together for longer. It's going to be Cahill's first game. I think victory will win the game, particularly if Rojas does back up from international duty. Which it sounds like he will. Although the other thing is James Troisi's out for Melbourne victory, so it's perhaps a bit more important for um, well, for the uh, Rojas to come back. I think so, but they've got pretty good depth in midfield as well, victory. Yeah, that, which role players are playing in midfield again? <laughs> Don't start. <laughs> All right, that's going to be it for part two. We're going to come back and look ahead to the Raw game against the Newcastle Jets on Sunday. This is the Brisbane Football Review. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back. It's the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. James, unfortunately we had some tech issues with the third part of the podcast. Buttons weren't pushed and it meant we basically had eight minutes of awkward silence. For the record, Scott and Adam both said that the Brisbane Roar would win this weekend. I said there was going to be a draw. Sorry about the mistake and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brisbane Football Review, powered by Outside90.com. Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today.